Welcome to Security Confidential by Dark Rhino Security, where we get together and talk about all things information security. I'm Tyler. And I'm Manoj. And I'm Sunena. Today we're going to talk about how to make your C-suite fall in love with security. There's a lot of things that motivate the C-suite to invest in security. I'd say probably the biggest one is they're smart enough to know that they have to. That's right. In fact, some industries have mandated that cybersecurity risk be brought up to the board level. So if you look at the insurance industry, their regulatory councils have mandated that those risks be reported to the board of directors, at least on an annualized basis, and which converts cybersecurity very much from a technical problem to a business problem, which is what it truly is. It's often bucketed in the world of backroom IT, but it's not that. It's actually a business problem that has direct correlation to the functioning of the company, management of risk, and ensuring business continuity under disfavorable circumstances. And and now the insurance industry at least has taken it upon itself to make sure that that mandate is is somewhat clear. And uh, other industries have taken up similar requirements. There are a number of different ways that you can approach security, but a risk-based approach that ties the actual problems a company faces to dollar amounts is a very good method of doing it. It allows you to prioritize the issues That's exactly right, Tyler. I think, you know, getting a common language that everybody understands in front of the executive team is a key way to getting them to understand cybersecurity. Too often, it is brought up in arcane terms to them that they don't really follow. But Dark Rhino, for example, we follow the FAIR methodology, which is the factored analysis of information risk. And that it's a formal approach that really in detail formalizes the quantification process of risk. And that is something, those risk values, the continuum of risk from various threat vectors that the business faces is something that any executive will understand and any financial person will understand. And that really allows for a good objective discussion and a prioritizing of projects and spending of capital dollars where it's needed. And that's a approach. There are several others out there, but Dark Rhino, that's what we follow, and, and we've seen great results from that. It provides a common language. So think about it this way. If I come to you and I say, hey, you have a threat from some ransomware virus or malware or Trojan or some other piece of technology out there, you may not even know what the implications of that really mean. Whereas if you came in and say, hey, look, we have have a likely loss of $700,000 per malware event. And we have some exposure from malware from the way we are running our returns program in the company, if I'm a retailer, uh, or the way in which we are handling contractors, which one do you think is going to make more sense? Because one requires context from a technical level and an understanding of the ever daily changing threat landscape that's present in the cybersecurity world, whereas the other just requires an understanding of financial implications, potential legal implications, potential reputational loss implications, uh, which is something that's business 101 that everyone would understand. And that's what FAIR brings to the table. That's absolutely right, Manoj. It's something that takes it from 
complex technical understandings to financial understandings. And you can even review solutions to see which one would be the best solution uh, in, this, in a similar manner, looking at the cost versus the amount of risk reduced. To really make a risk presentation, you have to have a foundational, a sound foundational understanding of business operations first. And that comes with time. It comes with experience. Yeah, I, I agree, Manoj. Business is something that you, you, from a technical person standpoint, speaking for myself, it took me a little while to realize that there's more to it than just the uh, the nuts and bolts of the technology that we we have to employ uh, to provide proper security. It's very much driven by the business side of things, and that comes with experience. You know, what the the key part is where do you spend limited capital or expense dollars? And where you have to do this is where your risk goes, right? But I think, you know, that's a, I think it's a fairly mundane conversation because if I listen to an N number of security podcasts that are present out there, everybody wants to talk about risk in some way, shape or form. It seems to be the new industry pet word that, that's out there. What I don't ever hear discussed, and I think, I, Tyler, I, I'd like to bring some of this up with you and maybe you can lend some insights on this. How do you use cybersecurity to actually increase margin contributions, increase revenue to the organization? It's a topic that is not very widely discussed, and it's because it's not the interesting thing that everyone focuses on about security. Is is security for the sake of security? If if we're being honest. Yeah, that, that's right. I, that's great, actually. You know, that I agree with you completely. Security for the sake of security. Companies focus on that. That they, they do totally. They have a CISO, and then the CISO is mandated <laughs> to secure their operations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's never nobody goes into the to the discussion going like okay how are we going to increase our our capabilities with security it's it's how it's always about how we're going to stop threats and with a lot of the older technologies you know if you if you sat there and you're like how are we going to increase our capabilities with this it doesn't apply you know it, it it's not really applicable with older technologies some of the newer technologies that are coming out. Uh, things like Okta can actually improve uh, your your uh, capability and, as a result, improve your bottom line. You know what, Tyler? That's a that's a really good one because so you brought up Okta, and I was going to generalize it a little bit and say, you know, the the world of identity mm -hmm. is a great place for any organization, regardless of the business that they're in, whether they are selling orange juice or they're selling batteries or insurance or they're a bank or they're a medical office, doesn't really matter. The world of identities and the technologies that govern identity that are used by cybersecurity professionals for by firms like us in securing the environment can equally play a huge role in furthering marketing programs. So if you look at empires that have been built by Facebook and Google, where the perception is that it's all free and the consumer is used to that free environment, in reality, the consumer is the product. It is their identity and their patterns of behavior that is the real product 
and the mm -hmm. valued asset by those companies. And I mean, the, the identity piece for that has been, is, is central to their business. So the way that a, a normal company that isn't Facebook would, would benefit from something like Okta is think about all the little times that are wasted, little bits of time that are wasted trying to get uh, new people on board, for example. With Okta, your provisioning time goes down, your security increases, your people become more flexible with how they can request access to applications, but at the same time, it's more secure. There's, there's oversight, there's auditability, for those requests and a process can be built that can take people from sitting and waiting to working uh, much faster than, than you traditionally uh, could have done. And I've experienced this numerous times at different companies that I've gone to work as a contractor at where I get there and they're like, oh, we're super excited to have you. Um, we don't have a laptop for you yet. Uh, <laughs> And then a week goes by and I still don't have a login. And then maybe I finally get the login, but I still have zero access to my applications because those are, those are tied up in some tedious approval process. And meanwhile, you know, I'm billing out at, you know, X number of dollars an hour and your people are just kind of waiting around for someone to click buttons so I can get access to things. With Okta, you can automate that process, ensure that it's secure, and you have the added security that it, it builds into your authentication process to new and legacy applications. So Okta basically allows you, and it's just one example that allows your, your people to be more effective and timely while being more secure. I, I want to, you know, Tyler, as a former management consultant, I, I want to extend this concept to the 100,000 foot level. Yeah. I, and, you, or, and you're right, uh, Okta, and this is just a, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, Okta is a technology and it does help mm -hmm. in, in managing identities. But when we are looking at strategically, how do we want to use these cybersecurity technologies? And let's, let's make up an example. So uh, I don't know, it's a cold winter's day. Let's say I'm a company selling golf balls because I'd rather be golfing today anyways, but I can't. So we'll one. sell golf balls. In that industry, there's a lot of contract manufacturing. There mm -hmm. has been a lot of mergers and acquisitions over time. And if you look at that landscape where you have grown by acquisition and you have multiple divisions selling, the, in this case, you might sell, sell everything from golf balls that are used by professional players to specialty balls that are used at ranges to balls that are used by more amateur players as a learning device that may not even be legal on a, a regulation course. Now, in such a landscape, you might have one person, a your customer, your consumer that might have registered in times past with all these various companies that you acquired and they might have registered with different emails, with different uh, name truncations uh, and what have you for their loyalty program so that they get coupons in the email so they can go to Dick's Sporting Goods and, and they can get whatever money they get off a, off a golf ball. I mean, we're picking on golf ball. As these acquisitions happened, those identities never got consolidated. Right. So now what one of the biggest things for marketing would be, how do I do cross 
brand selling? How can I structure promotions that would appeal to a consumer that's registered with brand one of the golf ball, brand two of that golf ball, and maybe even brand three of that golf? What has been their purchasing pattern? That data may exist in the individual silos that represented those companies, but it doesn't exist in a consolidated fashion. And today, the, the big word is big data, unintended there. And, and, and people will instantiate multi, multi-million dollar projects because it's the in thing to do these days yeah. that is going to be a big data project and then they will try and create a data lake and then they'll build heavy analytics. Where... And you know what? There is a time and a place for that. I'm not completely against that approach. There's absolute value to that. But Mm -hmm. a much simpler approach that would give you results now would be a program in which you consolidate those identities across all those lines. And, And once you do that, now you can track buying patterns across the brands from a single identity. And it doesn't matter what loyalty card that person is using or how they log in, because you know ultimately Mr. X, who is the same guy as Mr. Y, who they are exactly the same person, right? Mm -hmm. And you can market to them specifically. You can create unique pricing for them, which is something that Amazon does very effectively in some instances, where if I log into Amazon for a product looking, and you log in for that product and Sanana logs in, we may all get presented three different prices for the exact same product because right. they know how much it means to me and how little it might mean to you, Tyler, right? So, right, exactly. Right? But you have to know that identity first mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And that's something that a good strategy with identity and access management as a foundation, which may be built on a tool like Okta or perhaps any other tool that may be out there. Mm-hmm. If it's implemented correctly, you can do a consolidation. And that consolidation has real material value because for example in a retailer it can impact your rates of return you can identify who's abusing your return policies and say you know what this guy always orders a hundred bucks worth of golf ball just so he can get free shipping and then he returns nines of those boxes yeah right so the company takes a hit on the nine boxes that were returned and pays for the return shipping in some cases on that Stop offering the guy free shipping. (laughs) (laughs) You You don't need a big data program to go do that. What you need is a good identity-based program that tracks these patterns and can really have a material impact on the bottom line. You affect the rates of return. You you definitely affect the margin contribution. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think uh, you're... The example you gave kind of brought up another another thing that I've seen as a consultant is companies that are made of many little companies, maybe through acquisition, maybe it was through a decision to create a new division because their effort was different or regional or whatever it is. And, and they, they have duplicate efforts at identifying their people and, and they never at any point in time, you know, sought to consolidate their their employee identities so onboarding offboarding getting people to work across um you know business units or or entities within the same corporation can be very difficult for these companies the 
issue that they often have is they'll end up having a dozen different efforts doing the same thing, any one of which could be applied to the entire body as a whole, and then divided within that effort as it would make sense to control access to uh, resources that they would have available to them for their jobs. That happens a lot. Tyler, that's a very good point. In fact, Harvard Business Review, many years back, I remember reading an article on mergers and acquisitions in there, and they cited a incredible number. I, I want to say, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was north of 70% of these mergers and acquisitions become failures over the long mm-hmm. run, where they ultimately lead to divestitures or mm-hmm. some form of the value creation that was imagined to be just doesn't take place. Right. And perhaps, I'm not saying all of it, but perhaps what you are alluding to is a significant contributing factor. I think it definitely is. The problem occurs when companies fail to plan on how they're going to integrate the technologies. They just look at the, the books they look at the operations, they look at the marketing, they create plans for those things. Many times they just assume that IT is going to figure it out and they have been doing it long enough. We just want them to keep doing what they're doing. We'll deal with that later. Some of them do include it in the process, but they're very timid about their approach. Instead of saying, we're going to stand up a second system, whatever it is in IT. We're going to migrate some of your users over to that new system. When it doesn't break everything and everything's fine, or if it does, we'll fix it. But once we have it figured out, we're going to move everybody. We're going to decommission the other other system. That I see very infrequently. And when I do see it, it's usually, you know, five-year or a 10-year plan that is extremely cautious, unnecessarily, in my opinion, cautious. And they just ignore the fact that this stuff is not, it's not that hard (laughs) to stand up a new system, make sure that it functions, move some people over, make sure they can still do their job, and then move everyone over once everything works. Tyler, it isn't hard, but what you're fighting is human nature. Absolutely. And that is a age-old problem that people get paid a lot of money to try and affect, <laughs> but it's a problem of company culture, and right. it's a it's a it's a beast tackle. Now, one thing that is happening as technology has become much more prevalent in the propagation of goods and services in the market space, the rate of change has become really, really fast. And some of these larger companies that have been, you know, battleships and have been in the marketplace for a long time are facing very healthy competition from from players that are much more nimble. And that's been, I guess, time immemorial. I guess we could even if we turn back the clock to the 1900s, we, we would find that example in automotive where at one time right. there were 400 automotive companies in the United States of America, and now we're left with three. Yeah, yeah. just variations of the same. Variations of the same. But what is happening, you know, the consumer is becoming much more educated, and the rate at which the consumer is learning and is becoming self-driven to find product is something that is new in this market space that I don't know a lot of companies are prepared for. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll tell you, a running sales here at Dark Rhino, the old model 
of sales. And that's still employed even by a a large number of tech sales companies Mm -hmm. is a direct sales model where, you know, you have an account exec that is directly marketing to one account, right? Mm -hmm. And, And using the, all the tools of the trade that have been established. But what we've seen with buying patterns is especially in our sector, which is very high technology and rapidly changing, is that people don't want to be sold. They right. want to discover a solution, right? They want to be educated. They want to be educated. So sales has really gone from carrying a bag and saying, hey, I got this, I got this, I got this, to an educational exercise where if you educate the consumer and most importantly, do it in a fashion that allows them to look at potential new approaches to an old problem, like we've been talking about consolidation of identities here, increased margins potentially, or something to that effect, then you might actually make the sale because Mm -hmm. you've given them a new approach to a problem that they may not have thought of. And at that point, you know, you have the credibility and other people are not talking about it. And that gives them potentially a competitive advantage. And that's what they are ultimately looking for. I mean, that's how, that's what security doesn't make a company run. It's their competitive advantage in whatever field they operate in that makes a company pay its employees and pay the bills and do all those wonderful things. That's what someone is looking for. But as security professionals, if we can enlighten them with a different approach to apply the same technology and at the end of it, work, come out with great compliance, but give them a competitive advantage, I, I think that's a, that's a huge win for them. And you can apply that model across all, and, and that's changing the way in which we sell dramatically. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think it's, you know, it's, it's using people's own intelligence uh, to help sell something that they already know they need. It's just they don't quite understand it, or maybe they don't, maybe they don't even realize they need it. But when you combine it with their experience, their intelligence, they go, oh, yeah, that, that actually would make sense here. I can see how it would improve what we already have. As opposed to listing off, you know, well, this is a benefit and that's a benefit. And it's more specific. You're, you're, you're educating them on how it works and they're making the, the decision. Yes, I see that benefit that would benefit us in this way specifically. It is shifting heavily. And I mean, and that's the thing is identity is just one, one example of, of something that could help someone further their, their, business. Endpoint detection and response is another another one that can, can help you further your business. If your people's machines are working more than they're broken and you're protecting them from doing something that would break the machine, it's going to impact your bottom line. If your $100,000 a month you know, sales guy, you know, he's selling his, his butt off and, and his laptop gets malware on it. Guess what he's not doing while he's waiting for somebody to fix it, replace it, whatever. He's not selling, not not at the same level he would be before. And for that matter, I guess you could, it's not just endpoint protection, but in that bucket, I would also throw in all your uh, data loss protection technology. Yes. Because if fundamentally we make that corporate data available to anyone at any time, and it's not sitting on a localized environment, then it can be utilized. And we build our approaches and processes in the company that can leverage that information. Then the individual becomes a lot less uh, of a factor uh, if there's a data loss event that takes place or there's some kind of a 
mechanical shutdown of their device, if you will, right? right? Or it's lost or stolen or anything to that effect. Right, and 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 that's the thing is the the security tools that are available, you can leverage them to add that kind of safeguard and that kind of capability because data being available to people is, you know, if you're looking at it from a business perspective, that is a very, very good thing. If you look at it from a traditional security perspective, traditional security says, well, that's not necessarily a good thing. It can be a really bad thing. With the current technologies that are out there, things like BitGlass, things like Code42, you have the ability to be very open and protected at the same time. Previously, that wasn't the case. It was either open or it was protected. Now we have the ability to apply intelligent tools to provide a solution that is as open as it should be while maintaining a level of security that exceeds in some cases what was previously available with traditional methods of blocking people from using or accessing data or or sharing data. It's just, I'm, I'm excited to see where things are going to go with that because it's already in less well, than five know, years. Bring up, huge um, you know, openness. If you look at another industry that comes to mind where this is going to play a huge factor is healthcare, right? So if we look at a lot of these EMR systems are fairly antiquated technologies. I mean, they were not built in an era where openness and sharing of patient information was was a high priority, if you will. Um, right. right. But now, if we are transitioning, albeit very slowly, but as we transition to outcome-based medicine more, then it becomes very necessary for that patient information to be shared with medical collaborators. And mm -hmm. in fact, we at Dark Rhino have a small, several small physicians practices, groups that are only maybe five or six doctors that use the technology of VOC to securely and put patient information in, you know, and it's a very secure environment. It has, it's HIPAA compliant, uh, has all the certifications and controls for that. And then they are able to share that information with outside medical collaborators and they're able to track it. It's auditable. They know who saw it, where it was sent. It, it meets all the compliance standards, but most importantly, it allows them to openly communicate with other physicians and practitioners and scientists on a specific problem. And that is better for the patient's overall outcome. Yes. Yes, it is, which is better for the overall bottom line, especially given the new measurements used to determine how reimbursement will be handed out via government funding. Uh, those are heavily tied to patient experience, and wait time is heavily tied to patient experience. So being able to share very quickly, but also very safely, is going to increase the ability to get better returns if you are and, and that doesn't matter if you're a small doctor's office or if you're a large medical practice. The C-suite would probably be interested in knowing that this capability is out there 
it checks all of those boxes that take care of risk. And it, in, it checks boxes that take care of operational capabilities as well. And that is exactly the topic of this podcast, right? Uh, hopefully people have gotten food for thought here. I mean, we could probably discuss at nauseum. There are so many use cases. If you are in business, then don't think of cyber technology, cybersecurity technologies as a means by which you just secure the environment, but really start looking at them through the lens of risk and maybe even more importantly, look at them strategically as to how the capabilities that they provide can truly impact your bottom top lines and your overall customer experience. Well, thank you for coming today. Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you guys for listening. For more information on, we will include some resources in the show notes, so check those out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Bye, everyone.